Hello, and welcome to another U.S. History Repeated podcast. Today is going to be a history quickie as we cover the very abbreviated presidencies of James Garfield and Chester A. Arthur. This podcast has murder, intrigue, and some great pop culture references. Oh, and that reminds me to remind our listeners to check out my two new books, Immortals Revelations, about two immortals, vampires, but they don't like that term, who want to reveal themselves to the world. They start filming a documentary to show the world who they are, and then things start going wrong. And The Naughty List, which is a very fun Christmas-themed romantic comedy where two people who have been working with Santa Claus to get people off of The Naughty List have been set on a path to meet each other through Santa. We also want to thank our sponsors, EliteBookEdits.com, writing, writing, wherever it's wrong. All of your book editing needs, fiction, nonfiction, EliteBookEdits.com. Also, Keenan Sites Internet Services. Check them out for all of your web design and internet advertising needs. Lastly, listen, we want to be in touch with all of our listeners so that you can be up to date on all the goings-on of all things Jimmy and Gene. Go to ushistoryrepeated.com and submit your email, or you can direct message us on our social media channels. We look forward to being in touch with you and getting your emails. And now, without any further ado, our resident history buff, Gene Antonakis. Gene Ann, take it away. So today's podcast, we're going to be talking about two of the lesser known presidents. So the first one we're going to be talking about today is James Garfield, and he was president for four months. He is not a president that is often talked about, but considering the brief length of his presidency, it makes sense, right? So James Abram Garfield was born in Ohio in 1831. Like many presidents before him, he was born to a poor family who lived in a log cabin. His father died when he was young and the family struggled. He didn't have much formal schooling until his teenage years where he excelled at school. He studied Greek and Latin. He went on to college where he worked his way through even being hired as a teacher before graduating. He was hired as a teacher at was once known as Western Reserve Eclectic Institute, which is now called Hiram College, and he would go on to become the school's president. He was a member of the Republican Party. He was elected to the Ohio State Senate, and he served in the Union Army when the Civil War broke out, rising up the ranks to Major General. When he was elected to the House of Representatives to represent the state of Ohio, President Lincoln urged him to step down from his military post and to serve. He did just that, and he served as one of the most influential members of the House of Representatives until he was elected president. The election of 1880 was an interesting one. Hayes, as we discussed in a previous podcast, had promised to serve only one term. Ulysses S. Grant attempted another go as president, running for a potentially third and unprecedented third term after he returned from his world tour. Grant didn't win his party's nomination, and instead it went to James A. Garfield on the 36th ballot. Now, we have to talk a little bit about why it took 36 ballots. Garfield was considered a dark horse candidate. There's that term again, Jim. And he narrowly won the election. The Republicans were 
pretty divided at the time. You have two groups within the party fighting for power in the form of political appointments, things like cabinet positions, ambassadorships, etc. So they are called the half-breeds. They are called that because of their moderate positions on issues. They were led by Senator James Blaine of Maine, who Garfield made his Secretary of State. They were deemed to be half Republicans. And then you have the stalwarts, who saw themselves as the traditional Republicans. And they are led by Senator Roscoe Conkling from New York. And if you've ever seen the show... Oh my God, I think I know where this is going. If you've ever seen the show Dukes of Hazard, you know how I want to say that senator's name, Roscoe Conkling. Roscoe P. Coltrane. <laughs> exactly. The issue that divided the two groups was the issue of the spoil system. The half-breed sought to reform it, and the stalwarts wanted to keep the system in place just as it was. It was the infighting that was the reason for the 36 ballots to select a nominee at their convention. So you have this very interesting dynamic within Garfield's emerging presidency. His vice president is a stalwart and Garfield will be shot by a stalwart, but we are not up to that yet. In his inaugural address, Garfield discussed how in the country's first 100 years as a nation, the country grew not just in size of territory, but also in population. He referred to the Civil War as a conflict that not only purified the nation, but made it stronger. He talked about the impact of the war and emancipation, the importance in preventing what he called bad local governments uh, from denying black men their right to vote. And this is a direct quote from his speech. And he said, it is alleged that in many communities, Negro citizens are practically denied the freedom of the ballot. Insofar as the truth of this allegation is admitted, it is answered that in many places, honest local government is impossible if the mass of uneducated Negroes are allowed to vote. These are grave allegations. Now, as students of history, we know that this was true and not what he calls allegations. He goes on to mention the low literacy rates and pushes for education for all. The future of our country depends on it. He discusses the economy, bimetallism, the importance of farmers, as well as the growing industrial cities throughout the North and the Midwest. He discusses a hot button issue of the time period, the territory of Utah, and the need to enforce United States laws and he mentions that while the United States protects religious freedom, it does not and will not condone polygamy. Now, this is a very complex topic, one that we could do an entire episode on. The Mormons traveled 1,300 miles to Utah when it was still a part of Mexico. The Mexican-American War would change that. Brigham Young and the Mormons dominated local politics but disregarded laws against polygamy or plural marriage. It was not until the Mormon church issued a proclamation to abandon the practice of plural marriage that Utah was finally granted statehood. And this is well after Garfield's presidency. So when he made that statement, it was in fact a very big deal. So while the speech itself is considered mediocre at best, and by the way, Garfield felt that it was as well, 
He has a number of very bold goals for his presidency that he outlines in that inaugural address. He and his very large family, he and his wife, um, his wife actually was a former student of his. Um, They move into the White House with their five children, but they don't occupy the presidential mansion very long. On July 2nd, 1881, while in the waiting room of a Washington, D.C. train station, a man by the name of Charles Guiteau shot President Garfield in the back and arm. The wound should not have been fatal, and had a better doctor or physician taken care of him, it would not have been. A local doctor, whose first name, oddly enough, was also doctor, examined him but was unable to locate the bullet or removement and there was kind of consistent poking and prodding in order to locate the bullet uh, to remove it and to hopefully heal the president but it only made it worse and it led to multiple infections inventor alexander graham bell even attempted to help save the president by trying to perfect a new invention called a metal detector uh, in order to help doctors locate the bullet but No such luck. President Garfield never recovered, and he spent the last two months of his life in pain, basically kind of being tortured by doctors who were trying to help him. So now, why was he shot? So Guiteau was a stalwart Republican, and he felt as though he had been wrongfully cheated out of an ambassadorship. It's also important to note that his family tried to have him committed because they thought he was insane. So it's believed that when he shot the president, he stated Chester Arthur is president now. Arthur being a stalwart, Guiteau was convicted of killing the president and he was hanged for his crime. So Chester A. Arthur is now the president of the United States. He was born in Vermont in 1829 and he moved with his family to New York when he was young. He attended what is now Union College And the desk that he used while quartermaster and inspector general for New York State is in the president's office of the college today. He was a school teacher, a principal, and then he became a lawyer. As a New York lawyer, he worked on a number of high-profile cases that helped to improve civil rights for people of color in the 1850s and 1860s. He was involved in local New York politics, and during the Civil War, he was quartermaster for New York. Now, in this post, he was responsible for ensuring food and supplies for the soldiers representing the state, that they were ordered and available when needed. And this was an important job. Many considered this role to be the army behind the army. And if you want to know more about his role in this, you can visit the New York State Militia Museum and the Veterans Research Center website to see a number of primary source documents that they have. It's very interesting. As a member of the Republican Party and the spoil system of the party led by New York Senator Roscoe Conkling, Chester Arthur was given the position of customs collector for the Port of New York. And in return, he would hand out jobs for people that Conkling owed a favor to or that those who had helped the Republican Party in some way. And you have to understand that this was the holy grail of jobs. New York was the country's busiest port, and the collector was in charge of collecting the taxes imposed on imported goods. And at first, the collector was paid based on a percentage of the amount of money collected, but it was then changed to a yearly salary. 
the salary was still pretty high for the time period. And people who were put into that job did pretty, pretty good, as Larry David would say. So when President Hayes removed Chester Arthur from this position, it was a big deal and part of the reason why Republicans put him on the ticket to run as vice president. When Arthur became president, it was thought that he would continue to do what he had done in New York for the Republican political party machine, but this time just in Washington, D.C. He did not. He distanced himself from Conkling and he helped to bring about reform. When he became president, his wife had died a few years earlier, and so his sister took on the role of hostess at White House functions. With each new family that entered the White House, Congress typically gives a stipend to spend on new furnishings and decorations. The Garfields had already spent their stipend, and the home had been newly decorated, right? They were just there four months. But President Arthur refused to move in until it was redecorated to his liking. He was well known for his high-end taste and his preference for the finer things in life. If you go to the White House Historical Society, they have detailed information on how each family changed the White House and how much money they spent and the types of things that they got. And typically, the first lady would oversee the decor changes, but President Arthur, who was newly widowed, he hired a decorator. And that decorator was Henry Louis Tiffany, whose family owned Tiffany & Co. in New York City. They auctioned off wagon loads full of the old furniture of former presidents. So it was redecorated to his liking. And during his presidency, we see the passage of a number of important laws. The first and probably most important was the Pendleton Civil Service Act, which was passed in 1883, and it required federal jobs to be given to people based on merit, which is their ability to do the job properly and not given simply as a thank you for support or as a guarantee of future support. When the law was first passed, it only applied to about 10% of government jobs, but today it applies to the majority of them. Civil service exams were used to determine one's ability to do the job, and the United States Civil Service Commission was established to oversee those exams. The other important law was the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882. It is important to note that As Chinese immigrants began coming to the United States in the late 1840s after gold and silver was discovered in California, laws began to be passed in order to limit the civil rights of Chinese immigrants as well as immigrants from other Asian countries. Local laws, you know, that targeted foreign-born minors, companies paid Chinese workers less than their white counterparts, You have anti-Asian and specifically anti-Chinese sentiments that are growing. And we begin to see calls to restrict immigration from Asian countries so as to protect native-born laborers. And this is a topic that we talked about quite a bit when we talked about immigration and when we talked about the Transcontinental Railroad. So if you listen to those few podcasts, you've heard a little bit more about it. Many people don't know or realize that not only were black Americans and Native Americans legally barred from testifying in court, Asian Americans were too. So not only are they facing increasing amounts of discrimination, 
there is little that they can do about it to protect themselves or very little legal means of protecting themselves and their rights through the court system. The first time that the Chinese Exclusion Act came across Chester Arthur's desk, it was for a time period of 20 years, and he vetoed the bill and stated the following. Now, this is a very brief quote of a much longer statement on his reasoning for the veto. And so the president said, It may be that the great and paramount interest of protecting our labor from Asiatic competition may justify us in a permanent adoption of this policy, but it is wiser in the first place to make a shorter experiment with a view hereafter of maintaining permanently only such features as time and experience may commend. And so the law was passed, but instead of 20 years, it was for 10 Chinese immigrants were barred from entering the United States. There were some exceptions made in the cases of merchants, travelers, students, teachers, diplomats. We talked about this a little bit more in previous podcasts. Laws were passed in the United States that banned Chinese immigrants and their American-born children from becoming United States citizens. The Chinese Exclusion Act remained in place until 1942, and it was the first law that banned an entire ethnic group from immigrating to the United States. Even after the law was repealed for years, only a small number of Chinese immigrants were allowed into the United States. When teaching or studying about this topic, I highly recommend the American Experience documentary on PBS on the Chinese Exclusion Act and also using materials provided by both Angel Island and Chinese American museums. They have a wealth of information. Chester Arthur did not actively seek re-election in 1884. And when he left office in 1885, he returned to his home in New York. He was incredibly sick. He had a kidney disease known as Bright's disease, and he died in 1886. A little-known president who became president due to the death of his predecessor, Little is known about him because just before his death, he ordered that all of his personal and public papers be burned. A man who was known to be elegant, a sharp dresser who owned upwards of 80 pairs of pants, and who just may be one of the least known about and talked about presidents in United States history. And that, Jean-Anne, is a lot of pants. Thanks for listening to U.S. History Repeated. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Parlor. Visit our website, ushistoryrepeated.com, and subscribe to our podcast. There's always more to learn. Talk to you soon.